a four and five-year-old's favorite question is why or no, but usually it's why. And they're asking all these questions, why? And then slowly it transforms into this acronym I like to say, which is WIBIT, which is will it be on the test? And so things become a lot more like we stop playing and we start counting. Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. When did we lose our sense of play? And what role does play have in boosting trust, collaboration, and creativity? Well, a big role, it turns out. My guest today, Ilana Ben-Ari, says research shows we gain tremendous amounts of communication, collaboration, and empathy skills in kindergarten, but then drastically that declines as the education system demands more metrics and less play from us. Science shows us that the act of play fosters innovation, collaboration, and yes, empathy at any age. So Ilana decided to design a toy to help people strengthen their empathy, and I could not be more thrilled to talk with her on today's show. Ilana Ben-Ari is a toy designer turned social entrepreneur. She's the founder of 21 Toys and the inventor of the Failure Toy and Empathy Toy, the award-winning facilitation tools used in thousands of boardrooms and classrooms in over 50 countries. Featured in Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 female founders of 2020, her inventions have been praised in Time Magazine as a technology that's reshaping the future of learning. Today, we talk about her path from empathetic designer to running a company dedicated to boosting empathy in schools and organizations through her groundbreaking empathy toy. We'll talk about the importance of play for adults and how the empathy toy actually works. We also talk about her future vision to ensure that emotional intelligence skills are valued and celebrated just as much as STEM skills. This episode and conversation not only warmed my heart as a marketer and an empathy expert, but as a mom, a hope for future generations. You'll love this one. Stay tuned. Hi, it's Maria Ross here, and I'm so excited to have Alana Ben-Ari on the show today, the CEO and founder of 21 Toys. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so excited to have this conversation with you because you turned up in my radar through a wonderful organization that I'm a part of called SheEO, which is a very unique alternative model to funding women-owned ventures that actually have a great social impact. And um, you conducted over Zoom a play session with the toys that we're going to be talking about today And as I was telling you before we started recording, the exercise of being in a group and doing the exercise with the empathy toy, I felt was a masterclass in communication in learning how to communicate with someone from their point of view, 
versus from your own. So I can't wait to find out more about your story and share your work with my listeners. So tell us a little bit about how you came to this work and your background. Um, yeah, so I love what you just said. <laughs> um, and I, it, it means a lot because so my background is design. So I'm a toy designer turned social entrepreneur. And the empathy toy was originally a project I designed in university. Uh, originally, I, uh, I studied industrial design in Ottawa, Carleton University in Canada. And um, it's, it's considered one of the, the best design programs uh, in Canada. In Canada and in your final thesis year, they give you a, essentially uh, for the year, you have one major project and you get connected with an organization and you're tasked with designing a product to not necessarily, uh, well, to solve a problem. Um, but what most designers will tell you is we don't solve problems. We confirm what the, or sorry, we don't create solutions. We confirm what the actual problems are. So what is, what is the, the barrier? And I was connected with the National Institute for the Blind and I was tasked with designing a navigational aid for the visually impaired community. And over the course of two months, I did a lot of research and met with folks from that community and decided that my project was going to tackle a very specific challenge, which has to do with the huge social and emotional gap between the visually impaired community and the sighted community and specifically mm -hmm. for younger kids. So the empathy toy was kind of birthed out of um, <laughs> this empathic research. So design starts with empathy. We do all this empathic research that so we don't just read books, but we talk, we talk to real people. Uh, we spend the day, the day with them. Um, we get a real sense of what their, their life is like. So instead of designing, you know, a, um, a blackberry with really big buttons, um, you're getting at the root of, of what their day-to-day -day challenges are. And you look for opportunities where you can more positively impact their, their life and, and their experiences. So yeah, the empathy toy, uh, that's its kind of origin story, but it took me a number of years before I decided to uh, go at starting my own business with it. What I love about that story, Alana, is, is like so many instances we hear about is that empathy is, is the birth for invention and really trying to figure out how to solve someone's problem from their point of view and then developing amazing products or services as a, as a result. And so now you've built, you've turned this into a business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it took me a few years to realize I was an entrepreneur, but yes, I, I did start a business. <laughs> all of us. I, I feel like so many of us are reluctant entrepreneurs. We didn't actually plan mm -hmm. on it, but just that's where yeah. our lives have led us. And so, so that's why you designed the empathy toy. Now your business though, does a lot of work with teams, with companies, with organizations, mm -hmm. with groups. So can you tell us about that work and how the toy plays a role in that? Yeah, so we, we like to say that the evolution of the toy going from a student project to an educational tool, uh, that transformation happened when I started 21 Toys. Um, so from day one, I was I had, you know, kindergarten, elementary school teachers asking about the empathy toy, but then I had HR professionals asking if they could use it with their team. So we like to say it's for ages six to CEO. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think the reason, and, and this might resonate with you as well, is this idea that play is only important and part of your learning and your development until the, the summer before you go into first grade is kind of crazy. 
And the fact that we're now asking adults um, in teams and in companies to be creative, collaborative innovators, but we've stopped teaching and valuing play as a form of learning um, in our most of our education system. It's no, it's no surprise that um, adults are having a, a really big challenge with that. And so what I like to say is that the bad news or the scary news is like, if you look at the World Economic Forum and like the top job skills, it's, well, that's not bad news, but it's creativity, emotional intelligence. Um, it's complex problem solving. Those were skills that we were all incredible at in kindergarten. Yet as we age, uh, NASA did a study, we lose 98%, like, like um, 90% of four and five-year-olds lose their creative genius by the time that they're 25. Oh my gosh. That's tragic. It is tragic. And the, but the good news is, is that kindergarten actually works. We just stop kindergarten at kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So we say, yeah, play, learning, all of those fun things, all of those soft skills are really, really important. And now we're done. And now we're going to sit down and put our heads down and do serious work. And that is very much told to us from the beginning of first grade, all the way until college and university. And so the, what I like to say, the good news is, is it's not that radical for us to start embedding play just back into how we learn all the way from schools into the learning and development uh, within organizations. Well, this is really where those dots connect, right? Because if you look at the research around empathy and empathetic cultures and how they breed innovation and productivity, it's because Mm -hmm. you're creating this environment where people can be free to take risks. They can be free to collaborate. They, they feel seen, heard, and valued. They can bring forth crazy ideas and know that it's okay and it's safe to do so. And that's why you kind of see this correlation between an empathetic culture and innovation. And it stands to reason that a lot of that is about learning how to just interact with each other. You know, all all the things you talked about, emotional intelligence, collaboration, but also this idea of like, it's safe to do that in this environment Mm -hmm. as well, which we lose as we get older. I mean, I have a seven-year-old and I see the way he plays and it's unabashed play. Like he just, he doesn't care what anyone thinks of his ideas or what he's going to do. And somewhere along the way, we lose that. And then we think, oh, if I'm playing, that means I'm not actually getting work done. Yeah. And, and even just the difference between work and learning, like mm-hmm. learning shouldn't feel dangerous, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we've, I, I like to say that, um, this idea of what's the difference between, let's say a four and a five-year-old and then, um, you know, a child who's in like grade five, grade six, maybe in high school, it's, we stop asking like a four and five-year-old's favorite question is why, or no, but usually it's why. And they're asking all these questions, why? And then slowly it transforms into this acronym, I like to say, which is WIBIT, which is, will it be on the test? Mm. And so things become a lot more like we stop playing and we start counting, you know, we're starting to count marks. We're valuing, did I get nine out of 10? Did I get 10 out of 10? Like we have, we are suddenly putting all of this um, value on being perfect on being able to memorize information and data. And I'm not necessarily advocating for completely abandoning that, but it's like, we've lost this idea that learning should be fun. Learning can, we can take risks. We, we should be thinking about emotions as part of our creative processes. And also outside of that, as part of like in STEM classes, we should be talking about emotions and behaviors. And it's not just 
this, these, this idea that emotional intelligence and creativity have nothing to do with all of the, you know, um, all, all of our other classroom and, and all of the other, um, courses that we, we really mm-hmm. value and we put a lot of emphasis on. Mm-hmm. So it's just this, it's really fascinating how, what we, what, what we've essentially kind of set out loud are our values and what matters. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't imagine being a high school student right now, or a, a student in, in post-secondary who is suddenly being told, Hey, the job market wants you to be creative. It wants you to <laughs> show your complex problem solving. Yeah. And you just went through a system that was like, yeah, we really want to know how well you can memorize this information in this data. Yeah. Um, so there's a real disconnect there, but what's exciting for me is because we don't just work with companies and then schools, but we, we actually work with colleges. A lot of colleges and universities have embedded our empathy toy and soon we'll have embedded the failure toy into their lessons because they are at the front lines of students who are being thrown into the job market. And so they are the ones that realize that they need to start to change and they need to start to value those skills. So it's, Mm -hmm. it can be upsetting and overwhelming, but it's also just a very exciting time, especially for those in creative fields. Yeah. Um, Because anyone that studied creativity, anyone that studied design, design starts with empathy. That is, that is the first course that you take is empathic research, empathic observation. So. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a renaissance and I think a realization and, and one study I saw that I, I found through LinkedIn research was that the reason that emotion, the umbrella of emotional intelligence, you know, where empathy falls under that. And so does, you know, collaboration and communication, but the whole realm of that, the reason that they are so in demand right now is because we are living through a time of unprecedented change. And Mm -hmm. whenever there is such rapid change, the only way to effectively and successfully navigate it is through interpersonal relationships. You cannot get through that rate of change by doing everything yourself. And so the, the, the people that can build relationships faster, can understand others faster, can problem solve faster, will be more of an asset to organizations that are trying to adapt to change. And therein lies the link of, you know, well, why is, why are we talking about this all of a sudden? You know, why is this suddenly a business thing that we're talking about? And, um, the link there is that those are the skills that are required to adapt to change. It's not necessarily the most techno technologically savvy. It's not, you know, all the things that we were taught, we were indoctrinated in, in the education system to believe was going to make us successful. It comes, you know, right back around to the, the fundamentals, which is people collaborating and communicating with other people is really the only way that we are going to adapt to rapid change. And I thought that was just so interesting and yet so obvious <laughs> at the same time, you know, when you know, think about yeah. it, you're like, yeah. <laughs> so for those people who don't know, can you actually describe the empathy toy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said, cause it's, it's so true. And I think where we come in is there's so many incredible folks out there that are advocating for empathy education and, and folks like yourself that understand its, its value. And I think where we fit into that ecosystem is this idea that becoming good at empathy or practicing empathy, it's like anything, it's like a muscle, it's like Mm -hmm. a skill. It's something that, um, you can practice. It's something you can get better at. And it also doesn't have to be heavy and it doesn't have to be boring. It can actually be really fun. And so that's kind of where we've, we've, um, 
we, how, how we fit into that ecosystem. Um, but yeah, I'd like to joke when people say, oh, you have an empathy toy. So first off, I'll say it is not a teddy bear in a Kleenex box. That is not what the empathy toy looks like. Um, it's, it's in fact, it's an abstract wooden toy that you play blindfolded. And so if you and I were playing, uh, we would each have a set of these abstract wooden toy pieces that connect in hundreds of ways. Each piece has a different texture, material, and shape. And the way that we would start is that one of us would be given a built pattern. Uh, If it's in person, your pieces would be put together. If it's online, you're presented with an image um, of a puzzle pattern from one of multiple perspectives. And you are then tasked with describing what you see or what you feel to me so I can recreate it with my identical set of puzzle pieces. So in the span of five to 15 minutes, we both gain huge insights into how we navigate patience, frustration, but more importantly, how do we creatively communicate? So whether we're a team of two or 200, whether we're six years old or you know, C-suite executives, the game ends up acting as a metaphor for a real life scenario so that we can have the most crucial element of the game, which is that debrief discussion on what happened. And we're able to then connect it to real life scenarios. So it's uh, every time you play it, it's different, not just because you can play it with different people, you might get different patterns or shapes, but because we are different people each day, we show up differently each day. And so like any sort of exercise regimen, or if you have listeners that practice yoga, it's this idea that the, the, the activity genuinely stays the same. It's you're recognizing how you're changing and also the folks around you. It is really powerful having gone through it, um, you know, and, and as someone who's gone through a lot of these sort of team building activities and communication activities and exercises, it's so unique in that way. And it is fun. Like, that's the thing is it is mm-hmm. fun. It doesn't feel heavy. And um, going back to your point, this is something I brought up in the book and I bring up over and over again is the fact that you can strengthen your empathy muscle. You know, if you think you're not as good at it, it's probably because the muscles atrophied a little bit because maybe you were in an environment that didn't celebrate or reward or model empathy. And so doing there, there's so many fun ways to strengthen that empathy muscle. And this, the, the toy that you've developed is one of those ways. And it's a great way to do it in a group. You know, some, some of the habits I talk about in the book are very, they're very individual, you know, it's like practicing presence for yourself or, you know, watching films or documentaries or reading books or consuming art or music made and created by people who are not like you. Like those are other fun ways that you can strengthen your empathy muscle. And the toy is such a great way to do it in a group setting and to do it with a group of people that you have to, you know, you have to collaborate with and work together with. I think that's that's what's fundamentally wonderful about it. Thanks for saying that. And I think what's exciting for me is I've seen it obviously hundreds and hundreds of times, mm-hmm. maybe thousands. And it never gets and old, I'm, right? I genuinely, it's, it's, um, it's, it's very surprising to me. And even just thinking of who you play it with. I mean, of course you could play it with friends and family, but in a work environment, we've had bosses play it with employees, managers play it with employees. We've had um, C-suite executives play amongst each other. Um, we've also had uh, new employees. So it can also be part of not just onboarding um, new folks uh, to give them not just the learning, but the opportunity to see the values 
of that organization come to life. So, you know, a lot of companies might have empathy as a core value though. They might even have it framed in, in the entrance to the yep. office, a nice poster on their wall and exactly. they don't do anything with it. Yep. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because it's really hard to bring it to life and make it tangible and mm-hmm. stick and connect it to their, their experience. So I think mm-hmm. we have that opportunity to bring their core values to life Mm-hmm. And then the real work starts, then you can start to make those connections and those patterns. And so often we hear folks weeks, months, even years later say, yeah, we were having a challenge after that in whichever meeting or whichever project. And we're go, I think we need to empathy toy this. <laughs> we, <laughs> I we love it. That a lot a verb. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, that is, that is as a designer, that is my, that is my <laughs> gold standard. I was like, okay, well, we've, we've made it. <laughs> And what I love about it too, in my work as a brand strategist, I work with companies, mm. I work with solopreneurs, but I also work with, with big teams. And we often talk about the, the brand story we want to tell. And they say, oh, we've got our list of values. And again, it's the pretty poster on the wall or somebody in the brand workshop has to check the website to see what the values are, which I always love that one. Um, it's like, well, if you have to check the website to see what your values are, they're not really informing how you operate on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But what I love about the toy is this is a great way I can recommend to them of like, okay, if you say that empathy truly is one of your values, let's put it to the test. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's, let's have a facilitated session with this, with the toy. And so can you talk about that a little bit? So as part of your work with clients or, or organizations is not only to like, they buy the empathy toy and they're off on their own, but do you facilitate that Mm -hmm. exercise with them? We do. Yeah. So the, the business has evolved, um, over the years. So I started with this idea of, I want to change education with toys. Mm -hmm. So we started off right away. Our first, uh, order was to a school, to an elementary school. Uh, and then I like to joke when we went into the school to do a demo for the hundred teachers that were receiving toys, it wasn't a demo like halfway through. We were like, Oh, this is a professional development workshop. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We are now running. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, so my mission as a designer and social entrepreneur is to create the world's first global community of toy educators and facilitators. So what that means. Yeah. So what that means is anyone in the world, uh, can purchase a toy. The toys, uh, include guidebooks. So instructions on how to use it anywhere from, if you're an educator, we have an educator's guidebook that would say, this is how you use it for STEM. This is how you use it for language classes. This is how you can use it for guidance counseling. Um, but then for facilitators, we have pre-made workshops or at the very least the foundations of how to build your own workshop, anything from teamwork leadership um, to we have diversity and inclusion facilitators that use our toys for their work. So we don't replace the work of a teacher or a facilitator. We um, it's kind of like when you add salt to a meal, mm-hmm. uh, we, we bring it to life. We set the yeah. stage for their expertise. And um, part of that is a lot of organizations reach out to us and say, we don't have internal facilitators, or this is a really valuable exercise. We would prefer to have an external person coming in. Mm-hmm. So we, um, we run workshops all over the world um, before uh, the world went online. And, and went upside down. Uh, my team was in the US, they were in Egypt, we were in the UK. Uh, we were traveling all over the world. We have a, a group of, of 15 facilitators um, uh, from, from, from Toronto, which is where we're based. Uh, but we're currently, uh, ever since uh, COVID has hit, it's kind of opened up this opportunity. We've developed online versions of playing 
uh, our toys online. So we haven't removed the toys. We've just adapted it. So instead of showing up like Santa Claus with toys to your office and then taking them back, uh, we can ship them to your house. And so not only can you join us online from anywhere in the world and play with your team, or you can play with strangers if you want to join one of our global play sessions, Um, but it sets it up so that if you ever want to become trained yourself or even certified, uh, we're now able to do that without the limitations of having to be in, in our location. So that's, that's one of the most exciting things for me with creating the world's first global community of toy educators and facilitators is we now have this incredible opportunity to connect all of the different uh, offerings that we have. We can run a workshop with my own team, but we can now support other facilitators in running workshops with their own clients. Um, And our certification offerings uh, allow them to use the same materials that we use in our, in our workshops. So I love that so much. I'm going to have to look into that for my own client workshops. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a question and this is more of a personal question as a mom, are, are parents able to, to do this with a group of like their kids, friends, for example? Mm -hmm. Uh, My quick answer would be yes. My longer answer would be, I don't want to be held liable for what happens if you play this with your in-laws or with your kids. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We do do have insurance, but I always put it with a warning. Sometimes it's in a learning environment, like a school or an organization, especially if it's facilitated, as you must Mm -hmm. know, facilitation, proper, really good facilitation is is quite the game changer. Yes. Um, Our director of training facilitation, Ryan, who has been with me since like forever is incredible. And I remember when he first got uh, started working for us, he took the toy home to play with his in-laws and he tells this hilarious story where he, uh, he said, yeah, I'm going to do great. This is, they're going to love this. It's going to be so good. And halfway through playing it, he was like, oh no, we have to leave. Abort, abort, abort. Um, And I've done it with family. I would say uh, the shocking thing for me is it's, it can get pretty intense if you play with family, if suddenly things go sideways, Mm -hmm. but it also, you, I have had so many moments where I'm like, my friend's going to kill me when they take that blindfold off and this Mm -hmm. game ends Mm -hmm. and almost like, I'd say maybe 99 out of a hundred, like 99% of the time they take the blindfold off and they're like, that was awesome. And I'm like, really? Cause I thought you were going to break the toy and storm out of the room. <laughs> well, um, I was just, I was just yeah. wondering if you offer that. Cause again, like selfishly mm-hmm. as a parent, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily want to facilitate it, but if my son right. was getting something like that at his school, right. what if like, what if a parent could round up five kids, then mm-hmm. could you facilitate it virtually for people? Absolutely. Uh, that, that is an option. The only barrier I would say is, um, and this was before COVID and even now are the way that our manufacturing process and because we use uh, ethical mass manufacturing and also the, the quality we use hard uh, walnut and hard maple woods, mm-hmm. um, the price point might be a bit prohibitive if you're comparing it to, let's say a, a $10 or a $30 toy you would get at a toy store. Right. So any, any, anyone can purchase it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Anyone can join and play online, even without the physical toy. So our global play sessions, you can join and play without having a toy, similar to the experience that you, you had um, with, with CEO, you can play as a guide, you can play as an observer, Mm -hmm. Um, getting physical uh, toy pieces. uh, Anyone could do that. Um, But the way that it is geared, it is specific for practitioners. Right. Right. Um, So yeah, that's kind of, that's, um, that's the decision we made as a company right now so that we can continue to 
live our values, but I'm, I'm researching in the new year, um, alternatives to see if there's other ways that I love it. Um, influence the materials of production. I I'm signing up right now to be part of your beta if you want Oh, great! (laughs) mom mom feedback, but actually I'm glad you brought (laughs) that up because I did want to mention quickly for folks that they could join these global play sessions for free. And we're going to put the link in the show notes, but folks can go to 21 toys all spelled out 21 toys.com and get information about that. But we'll put the link directly to those, um, free global play sessions, um, in the show notes for this episode. Um, I did want to ask, you know, what's, what's one of your big, can you share a story with us of a memorable facilitation or a memorable group and sort of a game changer or an epiphany that happened for them? We, we would just love to hear mm-hmm. a story about, you know, a, a particular case of a group wanting to engage, getting the empathy toy, having it facilitated and what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to share one. And it's, it's an interesting story because it starts in a high school and it ends at one of the largest banks. Uh, yeah. One of the largest banks in North America. So um, we uh, had been, or I had been, I think I'd be running the business for maybe three years is pretty early and through the grapevine, um, one of these uh, vice principals in a school in Winnipeg uh, heard about the empathy toy. Um, as a side note, so this is the first business I've ever run. I'm also, I don't, we don't have any investors. It's entirely bootstrapped. Um, so it, it exists based on just a lot of hard work and a few award loans that I, I won along the way. Um, but some of the challenges with that is we've just never really done any marketing. Um, there hasn't just been a budget for that. So all of our successes uh, to date and still to date have just been through word of mouth. So the good thing is when educators, teachers, facilitators, and coaches like something, they talk about it a lot. So we mm-hmm. have a lot of cheerleaders. And there is just this really, really enthusiastic um, educator at the school in Winnipeg um, who uh, connected with uh, the vice principal, they put an order for the empathy toys and their guidance counselor, Robin, started using the empathy toy um, with the students at the school. And she'd be doing it for about a year uh, specifically for guidance counseling and was seeing some success, but in very small, um, small moments where students were having little aha moments about how they interacted uh, with the game and we're able to compare that to, you know, some challenges that they had in, in their interactions with each other, with friends and family. Um, but then the school did this incredible thing where they thought, you know, instead of the teacher running the workshops and, and teaching with the empathy toy, why don't we get a group of students? And they ended up actually getting 21 students. We didn't tell them to do this. They went, a, they went ahead and told us <laughs> right, right on brand. I love it. So on brand. They even made t-shirts. They called it the 21 leaders program. And they had the students for, I think a year, possibly two years, they started running workshops across the school. So uh, with multiple students, different age groups, they uh, were using them with the teachers as well. So they're running workshops and they even took them home. And we have this video of this, one of the students talking about the impact of it, where he was sharing with his dad, how the empathy toy was making him empathize with his brother. And this idea that they had a lot of communication challenges and he didn't really, he wasn't able to put himself in his brother's shoes. And he said this, the toy is so important. It lets me 
understand where he's struggling and we're able to be kinder to each other and understand each other better. And that, that might seem very small, but what we didn't know at the time is that the school was tracking how many students were being sent to the office around conflict. Um, and this school is also in the north end of Winnipeg. It also happens just by chance to be the same neighborhood that I grew up in. And um, that neighborhood is known for being uh, quite challenging. This is a school where the police are making frequent visits. There's a lot of stresses on the students, both um, at home and then it's brought into the school as well. So it's not an easy environment. And these students were so amazing in being able to have the confidence and the skills, um, but also the leadership from, from the school to run these sessions What the school found was over the course of, uh, I think it was two years, they had an 85% reduction in conflict, specifically because of this 21 Leaders program. Wow. Yeah. And we only found out about it because the mayor of Winnipeg contacted us and invited us to come to Winnipeg to receive uh, an honor with the students. Um, It was also the year of reconciliation uh, in Winnipeg. And so Uh, It was amazing. Also, no one knew I was from Winnipeg. So that added just this wonderful layer to it. Um, And so we saw this example of what happens when you put the toys into the hands of students and when you have that support and that leadership. And at the exact same moment, uh, back in Toronto, we were running multiple workshops with hundreds of employees at a time at one of the largest banks in Canada. And they heard about this story and they said, can we also get a 21 leaders program? Now, it wasn't about you know, employees being sent to the office. It was about, we talked about before, it's about core values. It's about saying, what does empathy have to do with banking? Why is empathy a core value um, in the ways that, you know, in the ways that we operate? And they were saying that the empathy toy brought their core values to life. So we ended up getting our own 21 leaders at this bank. Uh, We had about 12 facilitators and coaches that we certified uh, and up until uh, in 2020, they had just reached 6,000 employees. Uh, through wow, the that's amazing. Yeah. What an impact. I know. And it's, it, it. All, it was all inspired by this incredible school and their guidance counselor, vice principal and, and those students. So, yeah. well, I love this. And I do hope, you know, after this episode that that organizations and leaders and team leaders will reach out to you and see how how they can leverage the toy and leverage the facilitation to create stronger teams and more collaborative teams in, in our final minutes, can you just share what, what is your larger vision? What is your hope with Mm. this company and with the work that you're doing? Yeah. So I think the empathy toy, I have learned so much about, I I genuinely didn't think that a, a, I really wasn't sure if a school was going to say yes to not just purchasing an empathy toy, but using it, let alone, you know, fortune 500 companies using it or MBA programs embedding it. So I have, we've kind of learned as we went with the empathy toy, cause it's kind of uncharted territory. Uh, but ever since day one, when I started 21 toys, I knew that I wanted to design a suite, an entire category of toys. So empathy is our first toy. Um, I've been able to finish and launch the design of the failure toy. So I designed that uh, three years ago while running the business. So we're still trying trying to figure out how I can make time to keep, keep doing that, the invention of the toys, but we have empathy failure. Our next toy that I'll be designing is one that teaches improv. Um, but my vision is to have an entire suite of toys and a whole category of toys that cover all of the skills and, and the, the values that we know are crucial to the 21st century. Um, we just, 
haven't had an opportunity to play with them and, and to unpack and to learn them. So yeah, my vision is to have toys uh, in every classroom, toys in the entranceway to each office uh, or in the background of a Zoom video. Um, because uh, I think when we talk about skills like STEM, there's an inherent value and prestige and just respect that goes towards them, but we don't share that same sentiment for soft skills. And so the more that we see them being valued, being played and uh, being incorporated into how we work, that's how we start to value play. And, and I think that's how we start to create some real change. Amen, sister. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that is the world we want is a world where those skills, which are anything but soft are mm-hmm. actually celebrated and modeled even more as, as a pathway to success. So, um, thank you so much for your time today and your insights. We're going to have, as I said, links in the show notes to stay connected with you and also to connect people to 21 toys. But, um, for folks that might be exercising while they're listening to the podcast, can you tell folks the best way to connect with you and find out more about your work? Absolutely. So you can find us on social media. We're at two one toys. Uh, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, You can look us up on LinkedIn, uh, but if you don't remember anything, just Google empathy toy and you'll find us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alana, for your time today and for the great work that you're doing in the world. It's, it matters so much and you're appealing to both sides of me with my, my work side and also my parent side. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for that. And thank you everyone for listening to another great episode of the empathy edge podcast, as always share it with your colleagues and friends, please go ahead and rate and review at the podcast player of your choice and never forget that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Take care and be kind. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success.